This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Hello, everybody. This is Father Craig Vosick, your host today for Real Presence Live, usually coming to you from the University of Mary in Bismarck, North Dakota, but I'm on vacation with my buddies, and we're out in southern Montana in the mountains of Big Sky. Uh, so we're doing the show from there. Uh, we had the great privilege of spending a few days with uh, Bishop Vetter, the, di- uh, the bishop of the Diocese of Helena. He came out and visited us. Uh, we were able to host him, and he celebrated Mass with us, blessed the place where we were staying. It was really a gift to be with him. And so we're doing the show from here. We, in the last hour, I was able to spend time with two of my best friends, Father Scott Pogachnik of the Diocese of St. Cloud and Father Greg Eim of the Diocese of Madison, talking about 10 years of priesthood, which we are all celebrating this summer, uh, month of June and July, our ordinations were. So uh, just a really beautiful time for me personally uh, to refresh and, uh, and to be with these brothers of mine. Uh, now in the second hour, we're visiting, going down to the Archdiocese of St. Paul and uh, Minneapolis. Uh, Bishop Andrew Cousins is with us. Bishop, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Father Craig. I'm delighted to be with you. Wonderful. Uh, Bishop, I'm sure everybody knows you, knows about you, but share with us a little bit of your your role and uh, a little bit of your, of your background. Yeah, so I, I'm a priest uh, 22 years in the Archdiocese of St. Paul, Minneapolis, as of last Sunday, May 31st, and uh, mm. uh, been six and a half years an auxiliary bishop of the Archdiocese of St. Paul, Minneapolis. I was teaching at the St. Paul Seminary in dogmatic theology when uh, Pope Francis called me to be a bishop in 2013. What's your, uh, what's your Episcopal anniversary, Bishop? Uh, I was ordained on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, which that year was December 9th. You know, sometimes that falls in Advent, <laughs> right. which allowed me to have an Episcopal ordination on a day that's normally a holy day of obligation. So, sure. Uh, it was a beautiful, cold day. I think it was 10 below zero the day I was ordained a bishop. <laughs> so, oh I kind of like to joke with the new bishops, you know, I always say to them, come on in, the water's freezing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. Well, Happy anniversary, Bishop, for your priestly anniversary on, on May 31st. That's beautiful. 22 years. Uh, been reflecting with good friends of mine, a couple of them whom you know, Father Scott Pogachnik and Father Greg I'm on, on 10 years. And so it's just so beautiful yeah. for priests to mark those anniversaries. It's, it's very meaningful. So, so happy anniversary to you. Yeah, I often say, as Archbishop Flynn used to say, if I had 100 lives, I'd live every one as a priest. Wow. I'm not sure I would live too many as a bishop, but I would live too many as a priest. <laughs> Okay. Uh, well, we're, we're glad that you are a bishop, and maybe I'll just take this moment to thank you personally. Um, this is not on behalf of anybody, but just as myself. I'm a priest uh, of the region in which you serve, and um, to watch you, I mean, I looked up to you as a priest in the Archdiocese, but um, as bishop, to, to see you, um, to watch you, to hear you, uh, to experience your shepherding, um, even though I'm not in your archdiocese properly, um, 
uh, some interventions that you've made at USCCB meetings that I thought were very meaningful and um, and I supported very much. Uh, some of the other the other activities that I've seen. I mean, you do much more than that, but just uh, from me, I just want to say thank you. Uh, I look up to you. So many of us are just so proud and so glad that uh, we have such great great bishops in our region uh, and you and Archbishop in the Archdiocese. So I just want just want to say thank you anyway. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Too. Yeah. Always glad to serve as God desires, you know? Yeah, yeah. Praise the Lord. So today uh, we're talking about um, the life of faith um, and what that looks like in, in civil society. People say, hey, there's got to be a separation between church and state. Um, and as Catholics, we're thinking, well, maybe we need to think about that a little more critically. What does that actually look like? So um, as a Catholic, we're talking about people of faith. And it's essential, um, you know, we're having all these conversations about what is an essential employee or what is an essential job or an essential thing in this time of COVID. So uh, we believe, I think, <laughs> that that our faith is essential. So uh, what does this look like, uh, Bishop, as Catholics, our civic duties during during this time? Yeah, you know, it's been an interesting time to ponder this question a little bit more deeply, especially because of... You know, there have been restrictions on every area of society, but also, of course, at times, upon the practice of the faith. Um, so, I mean, I think it is important to stand by the principle, right, that, that uh, the practice of faith is essential in our country, um, and that civil society really depends, in a, in a real way, on the practice of the faith, that, um, as we've seen our, happening in our country, if, in fact, uh, the practice of the faith gets broken down. It has very negative effects on civil society um, <laughs> because because of just human nature, right? Uh, <laughs> we need the worship of God to order us as human beings. And our founding fathers, even though they you know were not sectarian in that sense, they didn't promote a particular religion. They understood very clearly the role that religion had. In, um, in our society. I remember somebody in, in the midst of this pandemic sent me a quote from President Eisenhower, who, um, uh, in the midst of the difficulties, I think it was, I, I don't know what the difficulty was, but he was basically begging all the people of faith to go to their churches and pray that instead of all the weapons we have against evil in our country, the greatest one is the weapon of God, and, and that is the, the spiritual powers that rule the world. And he was saying this is really an important aspect of going through this difficulty is that people need to pray so that we can be delivered from it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that's been, I'd say, one of the hard parts about this particular pandemic is that our current leaders, civic leaders, don't always have that vision that our founding fathers had, that the life of faith is, is actually essential to the life of our country and that it needs to be supported. Sometimes they'll give it lip service, but um, when it comes down to it, they don't always seem to have that that same vision. Mm-hmm. So then, uh, Bishop, if if this is the case that uh, we as Christians uh, recognize that faith is essential, um, and then we look upon civil society and we see that in some places that's being honored, and in other places it's it's being either dishonored or just l- overlooked or uh, ambivalent or whatever. What um, what are we what are we to do uh, as a as a layperson or as a priest or as a bishop? What what, what are we yeah. to do? 
well, there's, there's a couple of things to be considered, you know. So, um, you know, I think in the beginning of this pandemic, you know, this is a novel virus, and we were all trying to figure out what is this virus, uh, what's the impact it's going to have on us, you know. And so I think that's why you saw pretty universally in the United States that all the bishops agreed to stop the public celebration of Mass, right? Now, uh, first of all, it's important to recognize that we didn't stop the Mass, right? Right. Especially in my diocese, you know, which is what I'm most familiar with, the Archbishop said, I want all priests to continue to celebrate daily Mass, and to pay attention to the Mass, and all those things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but the question was, as members of the civil society, is it prudent for us to bring people together? And might that um, imprudence uh, create the spreading of the virus, you know? And, and so that's a prudential question, and, you know, bishops, like everybody else, was trying to figure out what's the most prudent thing to do. You know, and we see this in the, in, in the history of the world, too. We, you know, the church is old enough to have dealt with pandemics before. <laughs> we called them plagues back in the day, you know. Um, and so there was a lot of people actually looking at examples in the, in the history of our church. So uh, one of the great examples of, of this was St. Charles Borromeo in the, in the plague in the 16th century in Milan. And there was a time where he, he closed the churches for two months, you know, and he ordered people not to come out of their houses. And because uh, the plague was very serious, and now he he brought the mass to the street. They celebrated mass in all the street corners, and people watched from their windows. You know, people couldn't go to communion, but at least they could have the presence of the mass. <laughs> we tried to do that in various ways too. In my archdiocese, we would have you know driving masses so people could come in their cars. They couldn't go to communion, but they could <laughs> come and at least be present in the mass from their automobiles. You know. <laughs> um, so then this is going on, and we're trying to figure out, you know, so the point is that as members of civic society, we recognize that there could be a moment when we have to, for the good of the society, you know, cease the public celebration of Mass so that, the, so that this plague doesn't spread further. And so that, that's a prudential decision. Now, whether it was always the right decision, maybe we'll never know, you know, but it was, yeah. you know, here we are in the midst of something that's developing, we have to make prudential decisions. Yeah. And the longer it went on, you know, so we knew it, you can't have an indefinite suspension of public access. <laughs> and we know that the Mass is essential, and people have a right to the Mass, and even a right to Holy Communion. It's also not an absolute right, right? It doesn't mean that you can always get it, but it means you do. This is, this is a value that has to be respected. And that's what became difficult in the state of Minnesota is, we, you know, we're seeing how this pandemic was developing, and we were seeing that it it, um, it isn't turning out to be as deadly, thank God, as people thought, right? Mm-hmm. And also that um, that as the governor had set out his goals, which we wanted to respect, that we would, you know, not overwhelm the hospital systems and these kind of things, we saw that this wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. And then we see that the governor is beginning to open up some of society. But uh, despite our efforts in Minnesota, he wasn't considering the church in the same way he was considering other things. So we were happy to cooperate when he shut down all of society. Um, and we can say, okay, good citizens, 
we'll, we'll trust his prudential judgment, at least for now. But then when he began to open, especially like the shopping malls and, and the stores and, you know, the Mall of America, <laughs> and, uh, but he's not uh, opening the churches. So then we tried to dialogue with, with our governor about it. Um, and so all the bishops of Minnesota, as well as some of the Lutheran leaders, we sent him a letter, you know, and uh, in that letter we said, um, we, we see that your stay-at-home order expires on May 18th. We want you to know that we're preparing to begin masses on May 18th, and we're going to follow protocols that you would expect anyone to follow in this time um, in order to keep people safe, so try to practice social distancing and try to stop what could be the spread of viruses, etc. Um, but we want you to know we're planning for this, and we intend to go ahead. We'd like to speak with you about that. And we didn't get any response from the governor to that letter. Um, we heard from some of his, you know, um, people who worked with him, different commissioners, and we were dialoguing with them, but we weren't getting any clear answers. And then when he, when he came time to announce what he was going to do on May 18th, that was the moment when he actually put in law that faith-based gatherings of more than 10 people were prohibited. <laughs> And that word, I think, that really bothered the bishops of Minnesota. Yes. Because that seemed to be unconstitutional in our mind, that that you could allow certain types of gatherings and prohibit faith-based gatherings. And I remember that Saturday I was driving to southern Minnesota, and uh, I passed the world's largest candy store, which anybody who lives in Minnesota knows this place. It's this globe building on Highway 169, you know? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's big for a candy store, but it's small for a church, you know? It's smaller than almost all of our churches. And uh, in front of that candy store, there was more than 100 cars, and there was at least 100 people in line, like the size of a football field, waiting to get into that candy store. Mm. And I thought to myself, well, how is it that the state can allow people to go and get candy, but won't allow them to come and get the Eucharist? Right. And uh, that's when, you know, we as the bishops decided that there was an injustice happening here. So we kept our dialogue going with the governor. We tried to reach out to him again without success. We gave him one last chance because he announced he was going to have a press conference on um, Wednesday, May 20th. And, and he said, you know, we had heard some rumors from some of his staff that he might be opening churches along with some other places. But that's when it really became interesting to us, because at that press conference, he announced that he was going to open uh, restaurants and bars for outside seating up to 50 people. But he was not going to allow churches to have an outside gathering of more than 10 people. Mm. And we just said, that's unconstitutional. So uh, at that point, um, we uh, put out a letter to all the people of Minnesota basically saying, um, we will allow you to come to Mass, and we just made it clear, you know, we didn't close our churches because the governor mandated us to. We were in conversation with the government about that, and we decided to close it because we thought it was a prudent thing to do. But the point is, it wasn't his decision about when to open the churches, it was ours. It was the bishop's decision, because that's the decision that, that our Constitution gives us, but also God gives us, right? right. Divine law. And so... Um, 
And so we said that we were going to open our churches the following um, Monday. Now, thankfully, when we did that, we got the governor's attention, and uh, he called us at that point. He hadn't been calling us before, but he did call us at that point. <laughs> and uh, it might have helped that we had a, some high-powered attorneys from the Beckett Fund send him a letter, letting him know that, that we had a constitutional right to do this, yeah. and we intended to go ahead with it. And, uh, and at that point, we entered into a very fruitful dialogue with him, mm-hmm. and he, uh, he said he wanted to allow, allow the churches to open, um, as, we had, as we had said, uh, right after Memorial Day. He, we had said we wanted churches at, at 30%. He asked if we would put them at 25%, and we said we could agree to that. And then we, there was a limit of 250 people at this point, along with all the other protocols, which we, which we agree are important to take precautions during this time, because there's still a lot we don't know about how the virus spreads and all of that. Um, and, of course, encouraging um, people who might be uh, more susceptible to the dangerous parts of the virus to stay home, you know, people who might be at risk. Mm-hmm. And so we continue to not have a Sunday obligation so that those people don't feel obliged to go, because if there's a high risk, they shouldn't go, you know. Mm-hmm. Of course, any Catholic knows that um, your obligation only expands as far as what's possible or reasonably possible, right? So if there's a blizzard, they're not obliged to go to Mass. Um, mm-hmm. But it's helpful to state it that way and, and uh, let people know because of their potential uh, fears and liabilities, you know? Right. So, uh, so in the end, it ended well because the governor ended up agreeing with us. Um, and we did get a little help from the president in there who also declared that churches were quote essential services, right? Yeah, that was uh, that was about that was the exactly right time for that to come through because it was right in the midst of what uh, the bishops of Minnesota, or if I'm remembering that rightly, that was right in the midst of the bishops of Minnesota uh, in dialogue with this with the governor. So that was that was very good timing. It was. <laughs> it was, and in fact, we found out because the governor stated in his press conference when he announced that um, that he was moving forward with protocols for churches to open it, from that Saturday. Um, mm-hmm. Must have been the twenty second, and um, he said that the vice president of the United States had called him on Thursday night. So we had released our letter on Wednesday. And the vice president called him on Thursday to encourage him to listen to us, and then the president made those announcements on Friday. Wow. And then on Saturday we had our agreement reached. So wow, 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 wow. we saw it as divine providence, you know. Yeah, no, it's, it's that's beautiful. Uh, Bishop, there's there's a few things that you're saying here that I just want to highlight uh, because they're really helpful um, as we're talking about um, divine law and the rights of the faithful to worship God. Um, there are people who who will just emphasize that without taking into other taking other things into consideration. And so you're talking about prudence and prudence as, uh, in a way, you know, one of the queen of all the virtues, bringing together a lot of different realities and weighing them all. Uh, this is prudence. And um, so there, there are people that I've heard and they, they will just emphasize, we have rights, we have rights, we have rights. Uh, right. without thinking about anything else. Uh, and then right. there are other people saying, we got to be good citizens, we got to be good citizens,
citizens. We got to be good citizens, and that's the only thing they're thinking about. Um, and they're not they're not necessarily weighing all things in discernment. And this is what you're speaking about: is yes, we are Christians, and so we must continue worshiping God. We have a right, right. but we're also citizens, and so right. we have a, we have duties, even Christian duties, uh, to be good citizens. So I'm just so thankful, and I just want to kind of summarize some of that, not as eloquently as you did, but to bring that back uh, because it's so important for us uh, for us all to to remember that prudence is more than just uh, grabbing onto one point and running as hard as we can with it, um, but weighing all things, which which you've articulated yeah. so well here. So thank you for that, yeah. Bishop. What uh, can you say something about? Um, I mean, you can you can comment on that if you want, but can you say something about the response of the faithful uh, during this time? You've mentioned the response of the yeah. um, the governor yeah. and his office. So prudence. You're, you're exactly right. So prudence is what is needed in a difficult situation, right, where there is no um, clear, um, objective, uh, always moral answer, right? So, for example, you know, when it comes to breaking the commandments, we know you can never, you know, act directly against one of God's commandments. But when there's the prudent application of a particular thing where you have to weigh in a difficult situation, what are all the potential outcomes of this particular decision. So the example I would use in this is, no one can free you from the obligation to keep holy the Sabbath, right? That's the divine law. That's in the Ten Commandments. You have to keep holy the Sabbath. Huh? The bishop can free you from the obligation to have to go to Mass on Sunday, right? Huh? And it might be prudent for him to do that, given all the things that he has to take into account, because that's an ecclesiastical law <laughs> that is the normal way you fulfill you're, uh, you're keeping holy the Sabbath, you know? But, I mean, uh, you're still required to follow divine law even in the midst of these things. The, um, the faithful, uh, you know, these things are all difficult, and part of the problem was it's all new, you know? And yeah. so the faithful had many different reactions, um, and uh, some of them, you know, could see and understand what the bishops were doing, and others couldn't. And the other thing that's important to recognize sometimes is you know, not everything that we do as bishops is or should be public. And so, you know, there was a lot of time where we were working very hard with the state, um, behind the scenes, out of respect for the rightful role of the state. But people were saying, oh, your bishops are not doing anything. Well, they don't actually know what we were doing. You know, <laughs> we were working very hard. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, and... When you took the kind of stand that you're going to take, you have to do that prudently. So, you know, there could be legal ramifications for the stand that we took as bishops, and so we had to make sure that we had lawyers lined up and all these kinds of things. It's all part of the prudence of the decision. And so that takes time. You know, it took us about a week to make sure that we were, we were on good ground and all those things, because you can end up doing more damage to the Church and to the faithful if you don't do these things in the right way, you know? Mm-hmm. And... um and we, of course, we want to work with the government. Uh, we want to be good citizens, mm-hmm. and we wanted uh, our governor to understand the dialogue wasn't working, then we had to take our stand based on what we are doing. But again, those are all, that's a decision to make at a certain time because of freedom. But I think in the end, I would say the vast majority of the faithful were really grateful that we, uh, we did what we did because it showed them and it actually showed the world in a certain way that we do 
we value uh, the practice of our faith, and we're willing, if necessary, to pay some price for that, um, which is uh, actually a beautiful thing to be able to say in the midst of this pandemic, even though, of course, a lot of people think, you know, we're, we're upset that we took the stand that we did. I'd say the vast majority of the faithful were really grateful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so now uh, we're we're back in. So there's people listening from a lot of different areas. Uh, you're speaking from uh, from was it the entire region that uh, the archdiocese, or was it for, mostly for the state of Minnesota that you were laboring for? Yeah, yeah, and in fact, we were probably the last in the region to open. That was part of our argument with the governor. Well, Iowa all uh, had permission from their governors to have. Um, gatherings of faith, you know, mm-hmm. and as part of our argument is, um, you know, that we're not so different from those people, and we also, too, can practice social distancing in church, you know, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so we were one of the last children in the region, and there is a there is a greater danger in a metro area, in a large city like we have in the Twin Cities, yeah. Uh, for example, if there's a lot of spread in that area, that could really overwhelm the hospital systems more quickly and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, for us, we were willing to be patient, but when the rest of society was receiving privileges that we weren't, was when we began to lose our patience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, going forward, Bishop, in our last minute or two together, um, what what advice would you give to uh, the faithful, the priests in these areas? As we, because yeah, COVID's not leaving us, um, right. there is there's an opening that's happening. Things could get, uh, they we could find uh, things become very grave uh, going forward, or or, or not. Uh, so, uh, just going forward. Uh, to take the principle of prudence that you've given to us, uh, or other, or the the principle of charity and patience yep. uh, that you've given to us. Yeah. What uh, what final thoughts do you have for the faithful, or to anybody who might be listening, of how to how to continue now as we go forward? Uh, you know, this, the uh, important thing is that you pray for an end to the pandemic, um, to pray that God would use this pandemic to bring about the conversion of people. Um, so that they can come to see deeper meaning in their lives and especially come to know God. And, uh, but also, especially, you know, we, we do have to kind of make adjustments as we go ahead, and we're all in this together. Um, and so we have to understand the continued prudence is going to be necessary as we go forward in, in practicing our faith, you know? Yeah, yeah. Bishop Cousins of the Archdiocese of St. Paul, Minneapolis, has been with us is vis- speaking about uh, Catholic faith in civil society, in particular during this time of pandemic. He has implored us to pray. Bishop, would you please give us a blessing as we come to the end of our segment? Yes. May the blessing of Almighty God, through the intercession of the United Heart of Mary, descend upon all of you and remain with you forever, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Bishop Cousins, thank you so much for being with us today. All right. God bless you. God bless you. Brothers and sisters, that was Bishop Cousins of the Archdiocese of St. Paul, Minneapolis, uh, with a wonderful reflection on how to live the life of faith during COVID and uh, how to live with prudence. It was very, a uh, very good conversation. If you came in late, go back to our podcast later as it comes out to listen to the beautiful points that he has made. We're going to take a quick break. Come back, grab your rosary beads, because we're going to pray the Holy Rosary together. Stay with us. Real Presence Live.
Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. We'll be right back. 